This episode of Fermented Adventure the Podcast features Von C. Brewing Company of Norristown, Pennsylvania. We had a spectacular time sitting down with Jay, Eric, Rick, and Mike, learning about Von C. Brewing Company and tasting their sensational beers. Do reach out to Von C. Brewing Company and let them know what you thought about the podcast. Cheers! Ladies and gentlemen, craft spirit enthusiasts, and those interested in the intoxicating world of craft distilleries, cideries, meaderies, wineries, and the occasional foray into breweries. It's Rich Shane, and welcome to Fermented Adventure, the podcast, where we bring you the fascinating people that are making the mash, fermenting, distilling, bottling, pouring, and delivering to you some of the finest libations in the world. Before we get started, here are a few housekeeping items. Thank you for bringing the podcast into wherever you are and whatever you're doing. We truly are grateful that you've chosen to listen and make us part of your day. It would mean the world to us if you left a five-star review. This helps us climb in the rankings and it makes it easier for others to find us. Don't hesitate to leave us your comments as well. If the podcast didn't meet your expectations, tell us why. We're always striving to improve. You can find us at fermentedadventure.com. We are on Instagram and Facebook as Fermented Adventure. Email us at fermentedadventure at gmail.com. All right, FA Nation, let's meet our guests. We're here at Von C. Brewing Company in Norristown, Pennsylvania. I'm joined by Jay, Eric, Rick, and Mike. I'm Rich Shane. Dawn Ranieri's here, and this is Fermented Adventure, the podcast. Gentlemen, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having us. Thank yeah, you. Welcome, welcome to the hurry. <laughs> I, you know, I've been here before, but this has always been something for me, selfishly, that I've wanted to do. We've seen each other at beer festivals here and there, uh, but for me, this is a selfish desire to sit down and talk with you and learn about Von C, to share with the listeners and our audience how did Von C get started? So Von C all started as a uh, senior project at Northeastern University. I wrote the business plan for this back in 1993. Period. End Period. of story. End of story. <laughs> no, before that, it actually got started back in 1860. Uh, we have uh, a vast family history of brewing in Philadelphia. We're lucky enough that our father was a master brewer, our grandfather was a master brewer, our great-grandfather was a master brewer, literally dating back to 1860 to Christian Schmidt, who started the brewery in Philadelphia. What's that like for you being family, to have that lineage, you know, growing up with it, knowing the history? It's, uh, we always knew we were going to do it because it's in the blood, and that's really what brought us to where we are today. Uh, you know, from myself getting 50 cases of Schmitz for graduating high school to Ricker there getting 500 cases of Schmitz sent down to Lynchburg, Virginia. It's been a, uh, it's been a great year, but uh, I'm sorry, it's been a great life of growing <laughs> up with the, the, the brewing in the blood, you know? As the family and what this has been in your blood, what you said you always knew this was something that you were going to do, but what was it and how was it received when you said, all right, we're starting to search for the building and the equipment and all those things that, that has, has put this all together? I think most of the people said, what the heck took you so long? <laughs> really? <laughs> so, <laughs> including our father. <laughs> so what it's the like, heck did take like you so long? Well, well, I think our lives our kids our real jobs got in the way you know it, it was it was a dream i mean when he first wrote the the business plan there was no such thing as a tap room it was it was solely distribution you know what we maybe three or four hundred breweries at the time and you know people were probably laughing at you saying you really want to do something like that but uh you know we we've talked about it we wanted to do it we 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 Sort of said, okay, you know, we, our lives got in the way. Is, you know, we're all a bit older doing this. You know, uh, I just turned sixty. I, I don't know why I waited this long to get into retail, but uh, you know, uh, doing the brewery is is great. We're having a lot of fun with it, and uh, you know, obviously, it's our you know everyday jobs as well. But uh, it's something we're doing that we enjoy, and having the family history has really made it uh, that much better. Besides your family and friends saying what took you so long, what have those conversations been like? You know, after Schmidt's closed until you opening, you know, what's what's that transition been like from the closure to now and and how the con you know, just those conversations with people? I think a lot of it happens for a reason. Back in 1993, if I would have opened it up and had the ties that we have in this building to Schmidt, we probably would have been laughed out of the microbrewery 
group before we got in. Our OG pills that we're super proud of today. If we would have brought that out back then, people would have kicked us out of the group. You know, it's, it's a that's not a craft brew esque type of beer. That is the original recipe dating back to 1860 with all the adjuncts that are in there. So having to wait the time that we did, and now to see that be so accepted and people are loving it and it's retro and it's cool, wouldn't have happened if we opened back in 1992 or 93. Retro was not cool back then. The uh, ties to big beer back then would have been bad. So having to be able to do it now and uh, actually kind of have it be an an ode to Schmitz is, is very cool. You know, to, uh, we've had Schmitz Day here and to see 20-some old Schmitz employees reminiscing, you know, and haven't seen each other in 20-some years, patting each other on the back and drinking that beer. Is, it's, it's been very cool for us to sit back and watch that from afar. Yeah, so for the listener or the people that are listening outside of the Philadelphia area, Schmitz Brewery was a mainstay. Schmitz Brewery was a, a figurehead in the brewing industry, as you said, dating back to the 1800s. And... To bring that back and to recognize the lineage and the history, I mean, I'm getting like the hairs on the back of my neck are standing (laughs) up because this is, I said selfishly, this is a connection to my past history. You know, this is a connection to, you know, veteran stadium and going to the bar, you know, and with my grandfather when I wasn't old enough to drink. Although my mom, who now listens to the podcast, said that never happened, (laughs) but I think it did. Uh, But, 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 you know, in, in the way of Philadelphia beer, People would go to the bar and they would say, they wouldn't say, I'll have a beer. They'd say, I'll have a Schmitz. That's the way it was. And I wonder when you said, look, you wouldn't have been able to transition from that time. Because I, I guess when you're saying that, Jay, I'm thinking, you know, it's like, you know, new Camaros are the old Camaros. And that's cool again. So it wouldn't have been just creating like the 1970s Camaro, right? Because that wasn't the received car. No, yeah, it's, it's, uh, the nice part about it is, you're right, it's not just the old classic. There's everything here. There's everything from the, the IPAs. You know, we have the Hellas. We have beers from all over the spectrum, which is great. Uh, our brew team has done a heck of a job kind of rounding out. You know, we, we talk a lot about the OG pills, but uh, our flagship, you know, Walking on Clouds, Hazy IPA, is, you know, sells just as much, if not more. You can kind of tell how old the, the average crowd is in the tap room each night by what's the top seller. You know, if it's a little bit older crowd, you come in the next day and you look at the numbers and it was OG pills that sold the most. If it was a little younger crowd that night, okay, walking on clouds probably sold the most. But, uh, yeah, like the newer Camaros of today that they're trying to make look retro, we have all the options that are there. You know, the backup camera's there. That's the walking on clouds. <laughs> you know, the, the, the side mirrors that are blinking if there's someone in the, in the passing lane. You know, that's, that's the Stony Creek. So uh, that, that part has made it very cool. How did you decide and settle on Norristown? Knowing that you're a Philadelphia brewing tradition, how did it come to be for Norristown? Well, there is, there is history in Norristown. So Schmitz owned the out-of-sight brewery over here on Main and Markley, which can still be seen. It's still standing, although it's office buildings now. And then uh, the Cube Smart there is actually, it says the out-of-sight uh, bottle house on it. So that being about a mile from here, maybe even less, is, uh, you know, so we have history of uh, being in Norristown at, uh, you know, from the 50s to the 70s, they had Schmitz owned out Brewery. Yeah, we were on an extensive uh, building search. It took us about four years. Uh, we had a lot of boxes we wanted to make sure we got checked. Uh, we chased some buildings in Philadelphia in the Navy Yard for way too long, you know, because that's uh, unfortunately the buildings were beautiful, but they were so big and trying to get through all the red tape was not easy. City, yeah. um, this building obviously checked a lot of boxes for us. As Rick already said, we're you know, less than a half a mile from a plant that our family ran and had a lot of history to it. Um, if you're looking around the building, it's got a lot of a lot of bones in this building. You know, a lot of beams, old wood. It's open. It's huge. A lot of natural light coming in. So uh, it checked a lot of boxes for us. That's, we uh, we that's wanted that industrial up. feel, and yeah, it's worked out great. Especially coming out of COVID, that has been helpful with a building like this. As you can see, we have the big fans and the high ceilings, and that sort of helps as people were, you know, because we opened just as, like, we opened June 5th, and May 31st is, you know, when they sort of pulled the restrictions. So, you know, it sort of made it made the, you know, that, that was helpful. We wanted this feel, but not... Hopefully we weren't planning for COVID. <laughs> I don't think anybody. I, nobody was. was planning for COVID. But, uh, you know, but that is helpful here because I think people were feeling comfortable in here because of the 
you know, the high ceilings, large space, and, you know, the fans moving the air around and stuff like that, I think was helpful. Plus, summertime, you know, the garage doors open, those windows all open up. So it's. You talk about planning. I mean, behind me, you've got this huge, extensive setup for a. I mean, most craft brewers don't have this much capacity. Was this part of that plan, or is it, did it just say, you know what, we're just going to go big? And, you know, go as for as much as we can. You know, here's the dollar vi- figure. Let's just, you know, see how much we can put it in the space. No, I'd like to say go big or go home, but it was planned out a little bit better than that. Uh, we knew we wanted a 20-barrel system. It's big enough to be commercially viable and yet small enough still to be able to round out and do some small trial stuff on it. Uh, we're super lucky to have a 20-barrel system, but we also have a two-barrel system, which helps us kind of round out the 19 or 20 or so things that we have on tap at all times. You know how fickle the craft beer drinker can be. It's not so much what I had here last week and I loved. It's what you have that's new. So that two-and-a-half-barrel system kind of lets it rotate for about two-and-a-half weeks on our uh, on our taps in the tap room, and then that can go away, come back as something different, or go away and get scaled up on the 20-barrel system and become one of our coolers. Knowing that you have that flexibility and, you know, how do you guys decide – you know, the new latest or, you know, it's, it's like four four guys here. How do you make the decision on, hey, what goes on the tap or what you're brewing or something new or get rid of something old? How does that work? We, are super, we are super, super lucky to have Mike on our brew team here. Uh, he's figured out a way to deal with this three-headed monster, which is the three brothers who own it. And realistically, he, uh, he takes the wheel and, and steers where we want to go. We give him our ideas. You know, we bring him some of our favorite beers. Yeah, Mike we knew beers from we wanted to talk early about. on we, when we uh, brought him on before we were open and started talking to him, you know, with our history, we wanted to have that, that uh, you know, true German, uh, you know, um, traditional lagers. So he, you know, he knew that. Obviously, you know, we're going to be a craft brewer, we, you know. You have to have the IPAs and, and the, you know, the variety. So Mike and the brewing team, you know, they, we probably, you know, we haven't told him, no, don't do this or don't do that. You know, he, he does, you know, we want to keep those full, those 19, 20 taps up there. And, uh, you know, we have our nine or 10 core beers that we have cans and we're distri- distributing. Those are always going to be here. The one thing that I, uh, I said from the beginning is I want to have those core beers I want to be able to go to that brewery and come in and say, you know, give me that OG or give me a Hellas or a Vienna Lager, and that better be there every time I come, and it better be the same every time I, I come here. And sustainability and, uh, you know, and the repeatability in the beer industry is, to me, very important. You know, I've gone to other breweries and I come back, I'm like, oh, you had a really good lager last time. Oh, well, we're, we're beyond that. We're moving on, you know, and they sometimes they never bring those beers back. And, we wanted to have the core beers, plus we have the capacity here to, <clears throat> to to have all those, you know, experimental type beers. So we were super lucky to find a head brewer who kind of had our wheel, you know, right right down the same road we were driving. He wanted the same beers we liked. We liked the same beer he likes. And thank gosh he's done a great job. Yeah, I don't think we've upset him too much. <laughs> I'm, I'm still here. <laughs> well, Mike, Mike, talk about your brewing history and, and how you got into the brewing world. Yeah, I mean, kind of the same story as most brewers. Started as a home brewer. Um, I was I was living in the Philly area in South Philly for the longest time, and wanted to try to make my way into the the craft brewing scene, but it just didn't really seem like a viable path at that point. I actually, um, my wife and I moved to Hawaii for a few years, and when we got there, we we met a friend of ours who was brewing at a small brew pub there, got me into it, and that place was a little bit of a trial by fire. We were brewing, brewed like 6,500 barrels one year on a seven barrel system, which anybody in the industry will know that it's a little bit insane. That's way too much path, way too much beer for such a small system, but it kind of taught me uh, kind of repeat, repeatability and kind of how to brew as much beer in a limited space as possible. Um, but just doing it over and over, kind of, kind of honing, just yeah, just repeatability. <laughs> um, I did that for for a while. I moved back. I was brewing in Jersey for a little while. Um, we actually moved back the, the day that we landed. Uh, moving back from Hawaii was was the very start of the pandemic. It was the day that they told you to stay inside for what was it a week or so? Yeah. <laughs> that was the day we landed. <laughs> um, 
So yeah, I brewed a little while in Jersey, and now, now, uh, now I'm here. So this is great. really like the, the quintessential. You were everything has really come from that start of the pandemic, mm. and as we talked about, it wasn't part of the business model. How has it impacted? You know, how did that impact your business, or you know what you, you mentioned? You know, as far as the the space being conducive, Rick. But were there other things that worked, or you had to pivot and change a little bit? We we signed our lease on three three of twenty twenty about ten days before the world shut down. We, <laughs> trying we, to do a build out during that was not fun. Yeah, we sat we sat in here. There was no electricity, no water. The, that demising wall. It was one big warehouse. The demising wall there to uh, separate our space wasn't even up. And uh, yeah, we sat here at a, basically a cable spool as our table. And you know, the three of us, our wives, are taking pictures, and the landlord, and we're like looking at each other, like, do we sign this thing? You know, we've been looking for so many years, and we're like, yeah, this thing will be done by summer. But obviously, here we are, three years later, and it's still sort of lingering. So, but the the, the, the main problem we had too is you know. We had negotiated uh, some free rent into uh, the you know our lease in hopes that we'd be able to get open uh, as the build out was complete and uh, you know of course that didn't happen with COVID and you know the, once the workers were able to get in here you know plumbing crew someone would uh, come down with it and you know that would add another two weeks to it uh, you know so we had a lot of things to deal with at that point too so. Jake can probably expound a little more. So, <laughs> yeah, doing the uh, build out during COVID was not fun. You literally had to put the blinders on and just keep doing what you're doing, and not think, "What the heck am I doing?" I left a really good paying job, a you know very comfortable job to do this. How am I going to get someone kind of come down a dead end street in Norristown so I can walk out with a mask on with a four pack and try and sell them a beer? Or I can't show them never this beautiful space of. we did. Can't tell the story. Can't tell the story. You can't even see my face. I'm like, this is this this, this is horrible. And the, the story has been huge. I mean, I, I was probably a naysayer that the story would sell like it has, but the story that we have has been huge. And I, I think it goes back to the, you know, the retro is so cool now. And, well, as we already touched on, I mean, Schmitz was such a staple in Philadelphia. I mean, at one point in time, two out of every three draft beers or board in Philadelphia was a Schmitz beer. So the local following it had, um, you know, we, we hoped it was still there. And we hoped it was as strong as, as we thought it was going to be. And I think we've all been kind of bowled over. It's been it's been stronger, you know. Before we even opened our doors, you know, we get a call from, you know, our great partners of ours, McGill and the Old Ale House in Philly, and you know, we weren't even brewing yet. And he goes, uh, "I want your OG pills on tap for Beer Week. Can you make that happen?" Um, yes, <laughs> we can make that happen. So that kind of support's been great. Um, it's uh, it's been really well received. So for such a transparency, my father was McGillan's accountant. Oh, yeah? So, you know, it's this is where it, it all kinds of come together a little bit even for me and the connection. And I don't I admit I don't know the full story. Why did the brewery knowing that there was that many tap handles pulled? Why did the brewery stop? Well, basically, my grandfather got sick. So he was the last family president of Schmitz. So in 76, he passed away. And at that point, the other family members wanted to sell. They sort of wanted out. They, they wanted out. They didn't, they didn't want to continue to run a brewery. And, and there were there were some financial issues as well. And you know, they, they tried to go to the city. Our our father was the you know CFO of the brewery at that point. And uh, you know, they tried to go to the city to you know because they they had over a thousand workers at that time. And they they tried to see if the city would. Uh, you know, give them some tax cuts to try to keep them going, and, and uh, you know that was the mayor good uh, days, and the city was bankrupt uh, at that time. So they're like, we don't want to lose those jobs, but we can't, you know, we can't assist. We we, we we don't want to lose the income, but we can't help you with the income. Right, right, <laughs> basically. Yeah, the, you know, so that and, and our grandfather getting sick and passing away, I think all that, and not not having the you know that you know the rest of the family in line that weren't working there I think they just want to sort of cash out and move on you know whereas there's some that want to try to keep it going and uh, you know just unfortunately sort of back at that it. time you know it's the same story for a lot of the smaller regional brewers the bigger brewers Miller Coors and Bud they came in with their million dollar advertising lower their prices and it really put a, uh, a hurting on the smaller regional breweries like, like Schmitz was and the whole time that that happened and what the brothers here already uh, went through, it just uh, it put a real hardship on the brewery. 
so they ended up selling to Flammer, who had it for about what five years, six years, seven years. Ago? Unfortunately, no, like most 70, of those, no, 87. Yeah, he sold it Yeah, they went out of business in 87. Unfortunately, most of those is he was doing business behind a cell, which makes doing business pretty difficult. Uh, and the brewery ended up closing in 87. So my brothers were lucky enough to get to work in the brewery, and I did not. So I think that's what kind of fueled my fire at some point in time. We got to redo this because I never got my shot to be in the brewery where they did. How did you settle on the name of Von C? <laughs> How did that conversation happen? Well, when there's 8,000 some breweries there. <laughs> that was our working name from day one. That we And Jake could tell you, he knew it was going to be that. Other <laughs> well, people said no. some breweries that we tried every other name out there. Oh, like, three oh, brothers taken. Like cool, but that, yeah. Three fools taken. <laughs> uh, three drunkards taken. Uh, so every other good name that we tried to get, it's amazing how many of them were taken. And as they've already stated, Von C was our working name throughout the entire process. And at the end of the day, I'm like, screw it. It's Von C. If you, see our, if you see our last name, we, we couldn't go with the full last name. I don't think anyone would ever have found us on uh, social media. They say, I heard about this Von Zersnik uh, <laughs> trying to find never. We probably would never have anybody in here. So Von C is easy and sort of flows. And yeah. Thank you for making it easier on the consumer. That I think that was really the niche that you stuck with. How can we make this easy on the consumer? You look around this space and you see all the Schmitz memorabilia. Who was responsible for saving some of this or keeping it to where it never got lost or ended up, you know, in a dump somewhere? Uh, we got lucky. We got a lot of family members. We had a lot of old uh, keepsakes that they were more than happy to bring and let us scan in or actually hang up. Uh, and uh, things surprising to us, once we opened, people would actually would bring stuff here. We, we people said, hey, I, I, had this, I had this in my man cave, and it doesn't belong there. It belongs here. And we're actually give it to us, and we're just absolutely blown away by that. The amount of stuff people have brought and given to us. and uh, Yeah, so that, that clock that you see over there, the Brewers and PA guys, you know, Chad, if you know the Brewers and PA guys, Chad has his own, uh, you know, man cave that has all sorts of beer memorabilia up. And he bought it one day, and he goes, this would look great in my man cave, but for those of you in the know, there's only one place you can go. And they actually brought it down that day to us. And, uh, you know, I'm like, well, do you want anything for it? You know, like, how much? And uh, he's like, ah, just a couple uh, couple of beers, a couple of, we were doing the milk pours uh, at that point, and, uh, you know, and then we have it up uh, ever since. So people like that bring bring stuff in. We had a family come in, it was a... Um, he came in with his father. They lived in the, the um, shadow of the brewery down there in Fishtown. And when they started knocking some of the walls down to pull the tanks out to sell and, and what have you, uh, he lifted, his son was like eight years old, he lifted them over the construction fences to grab a couple of bricks because they that's where they grew up and they wanted to have the bricks. And they told us that story when they're here. And I asked him, I said, I'm not asking for the bricks, but I'd like to have them on display there. And he said, they mean too much to him. I wouldn't want them, anyone to... Anything to happen to him, so I understood that we didn't take him. But, but people bring in stuff all the time. I, I think we have three or four, uh, you know, big Tupperware things of people say, hey, I had this in my basement. You guys need to have it now. So we sort of keep trying to rotate stuff in our uh, display case over there by the door. So you're a working brewery that has become a beer museum of Schmidt's history, right? I mean, there's 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 two aspects to what you're doing for those that are connected to the Philadelphia area. The history maybe be the catalyst for stopping here, but the beer you're making and the what you're paying homage to what you've made in the past, I think, is what connects everybody to where you are today. I think it's uh, definitely a nice little. As you said, a little stew being made there. It's coming out with uh, some good, good, a lot of good ingredients in it, but it's making a pretty good meal. We've also hosted a couple um, Buriana um, events. Buriana is a classic beer memorabilia collecting group. <laughs> um, Rich Wagner, he's a local brewery historian, um, knows everything about every brewery that's ever been in Philly and surrounding areas. He's, he's hosted a couple events here. So, on top of the, the Schmidt's history and the Adam Scheidt Brewery, which was in Norristown, which you guys talked about earlier, um, it's it's all kinds of classic breweries being uh, kind of propped up and showcased during these events. Which is yeah, it's really cool. cool. Yeah, it was, it was great. We, we did the when Rich Wagner did the. He's done two of them so far: one on Adam Scheidt and one on the Schmidt's. 
basically call it, he did already a story of the rise and fall of Schmitz, and then he sort of did the rebirth with the three of us, uh, sort of added that to the story. And he did a big thing here, and that's, we said earlier, we had so many retirees come here. We do have the last brewmaster at Schmitz that is on our team. Uh, Adam Brosetti worked with uh, Mike in the beginning to come up with the recipe for the OG pills. Uh, he had the recipe, and they worked together to sort of you know, get it into, you know, the scale to the size that we're doing here and uh, you know so he brought there we had like 20, 20 25 30 just old retirees that came in here and it was it was funny because it was all throw that 20 on the on the bar you know with their you know and they, if they left they would just put their glass on it to go to the restroom or something and it was it's like the old time unfortunately that 20 didn't go as far as it did back <laughs> in the day but uh, <laughs> but uh, you know it, it happened actually to be our biggest cash day that we've ever had because so many just brought cash we you know so many people just pay with credit card now we don't you know we're not always getting tons of cash you know so that it was fun to see my dad was here who's uh, you know uh, just he's going to be 83, but he was here and reminiscing with uh, a lot of the uh, you know employees that uh, you know he re- he remembered and stuff like that. So it was it was fun. And we had our dad during the build out. Our dad would come in here and and you know just grab chairs and uh, watch watch, watch and us watch, uh, people. watch us uh, you know start putting the the tanks up and stuff like that. So it was it was fun. He just wanted to be here to watch it. You know, so well, let's do this. Let's do a little tasting. We'll talk more about the heritage and what you're making now. Mike, how you're bringing your personal flair to, to what's going in the glass. And uh, we'll come back in a second, okay? Sounds good. Let's get some beers. Pardon the interruption. If you like what you hear, if you love what you're hearing, please share the podcast. Please take a screenshot of the podcast, post it on your social media, tag us, just to let everybody else know about Fermented Adventure, the podcast. We'd be grateful for your help to grow our podcast. We're back, and we have a buffet, a smorgasbord of beer in front of us. I love these tasting flight paddles that you would use as the shape of Pennsylvania. Talk about the origin or the idea for that. Eric, you seem to be like, oh, that's Pennsylvania? Yeah, that is Pennsylvania. <laughs> I don't remember how, where, where that came about, though. Uh, local machine shop was nice enough to cut those out for us. That, that, that was their idea? It's my, it's my idea. It's his idea. <laughs> business plan going back to 1993. That was in his original business plan. Yeah, the flight the flight panels or paddles are going to be in the shape of Pennsylvania, right? Yep. Well, this is awesome. So, we've got five beers here that I think right now tell your story. And you know, if if I'm coming into your brewery and I'm asking for that, let's say that Von C experience, this kind of typifies, you know the personality of what you're brewing talk talk us through this you know number one is this the og pilsner it is yep that's our american lager our uh our recreation of the uh, schmidt's original recipe now i'm curious cheers and prost and what's what was said around the von c table when when doing beer i don't know just drink it and drink up. <laughs> bottoms up bottoms up um, I'm curious, you know, as you're brewing this, Mike, and, and as you tasted this for the first time coming off as a beer, what was that like? Knowing, again, the lineage and the history to this beer. Because this is, as you pointed out, this is the Schmitz recipe. Yeah, I think for most of us, especially my age or younger, like your first real uh, exposure to Schmitz is maybe on stair number four, running back up from the basement, grabbing one for your dad and then or your grandfather and then getting yelled at a why they was open when he got to the top of the stairs. <laughs> but uh, we did a couple small test batches uh, in the uh, in a garage homebrew system. And uh, I can't lie and say I knew exactly what Schmitz tasted like after all these years. But as soon as I smelled it, I said, ah, that, I, that, that's it. I was able to help with that because I worked for a distributorship that Schmidt's owned for 10 years. So it wasn't my family, our family at the time, but I, it was a farmer, but I ran a distributorship that they had up in New York. And uh, I had only Schmidt's at my wedding. You know, everyone was wondering <laughs> what we we're going to do at my wedding uh, because I always had uh, the cans and cans were, you know, now cans are the big thing, but, uh, you know. I was like, no, we'll class it up, and we'll, we we had the actual the old corrugated boxes with the returnable uh, tall necks. So I I brought down like fifty cases uh, for the wedding, and uh, the funny thing was, 
I kept filling up, uh, you know, the back room of mom, our mom's house. And she's like, why are you bringing so much beer? I'm like, I can get it for $3 a case. <laughs> and I'd rather have too much. And then he was on his way to, to his senior week. So there was a bucker brigade of the, uh, car, all his friends' cars unloading it, taking it down to the shore. So You never, you never saw a more efficient bucker brigade than that. <laughs> Free beer for senior week. We're in. But another quick story is on, on the day, the first time that we, we brewed it, I, when I say we, I really mean you know, Mike and, and uh, Adam at the time. And, uh, you know, Adam when he was in the tanks and had that first taste of it. He sort of, you know, took that sip, looked up at us and said, nailed it. So, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, because uh, he was the one with the recipe and, you know, he's 25 years of the brewmaster at Schmidt. So, but, uh, you know, that, that was a fun story. You said something really interesting it wasn't the taste that brought you back. It was the smell that brought you back. And that is very interesting to smell that for the first time and be brought to that either that childhood experience or whatever that experience was that you have. It was, the, it was that smell. And that's the first thing that I get is the nose on here that, that takes me back. And that's, that's fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. And I don't, you know, the, those that may have tasted it and said nailed it, you know that's that's their history. That's their experience with the beer, and that to me is fascinating. Yep. I mean, as you already said, Schmitz was huge. They had over three point five million barrels annually, and even though it was only distributed in fifteen states, it was in the top ten of breweries in the U.S. So it had a great local following. What's next? <laughs> next up is our uh, our core hazy beer, Walking on Clouds. Okay, so Schmitz, I, I, I'm curious, going into that hazy realm. I mean, you're Von C, but you know now this is what the consumer is looking for. This is what they're asking for. I'm what? You know, what has it been like? Oh, you're making an IPA. I mean, what what has that conversation been like around the table or at the brewery? Well, this is uh, our hats off to Mike Froelich over here. He really uh, can brew and formulate uh, various different beers. And this walking on clouds was his creation. He brought this to us. And, uh, the first time we had it, we said, Phew. same, same conversation. Three of us had nothing to do with walking on clouds. <laughs> call Mike. Same conversation as the OG we, Pills. We just, said, Nailed it. we just said, yes, it's very good. And let's make it one of our cores. So that was the idea. And it's probably been number one since day one. So, Mike, who impacts you? Who, who you know, kind of inspires you? Are there mentors in the brewing industry that you look to or some things that you may have or have had that you're looking to try to put your own stamp on and recreate? Um, I, think, I think kind of across the board we try to stay pretty, pretty much on style. Um, we're, not, we're not trying to reinvent these styles that have been you know, honed in on and, and perfected over you know, hundreds of years. So... Anybody out there who's doing really, really good um, two-style beers, especially lagers, we, we really want to be known for our lagers here. Um, we enjoy we enjoy brewing our IPAs and, and pushing the boundaries with them a little bit more, but as far as our lagers, we really want to try to stay as, as on style as possible on those. Well, one thing, one thing I'll say, too, with, with, uh, with Mike is everything that he brews is pretty true to that style of beer. Like he did a rosette and like, yeah, people are like, rosette, who does, who does that? But, you know, when, when I read about it and looked at it, I mean, it was, the taste to me was true to what was described in what I was reading. And, and I don't think I ever had a rosette until he brewed it, but, uh, you know, I knew of the style and everything, but, you know, like, you know, our Kolsch is very good and it's, it's a true Kolsch style. And, you know, and Mike, you know, is he, was very adamant that we called it a Kolsch style because technically anything outside of Cologne cannot be called Kolsch because it has to be brewed in Cologne to be Kolsch. So, we, you know, we made sure we had Kolsch style on there. And, and the, you know, Mike is very true to that. So, you know, trying to, you know, when he does a beer that it's true to how that beer should be. Back to New England, I, I think uh, what we like most about this and uh, – it's a well-balanced IPA. You get a lot of mango, grapefruit, uh, passion fruit on the tail end of it, um, but it's not too too much of a punch. We have some other IPAs that have more of that punch for those who like that kind of thing. But I think this is a really well-balanced IPA. It's smooth. It's got great mouthfeel. I'll let Mel- Mike tell you why, but uh, it's uh, it's been a very good selling beer for us. 
lot of oats. <laughs> a lot of oats? <laughs> yeah, I mean... That's the mouthfeel. That's the creaminess. Yeah. That's the body of this. And that's the one thing beyond just... Jay, thank you very much. Normally, uh, I'll, I'll kind of give my experience to the beer, but you said everything I was thinking and feeling just to a T, so thank you. Um, but that mouthfeel, yeah. that, that for an IPA, I, I don't recall having that creamy, that, that full-body mouthfeel like this, yeah, this all, has. It's all about getting your water profile right and, you know, just getting the grain bill right. Um, this, this beer is definitely a lot drier than a lot of other New Englands out there or hazy-style IPAs. Um, that's what I prefer. <laughs> um, it's done well, so I guess some other people out there prefer that too. But I don't think any of us here really like those overly sweet um, hazies. I don't understand how the mass public can drink more than one of them sometimes <laughs> when they get as sweet as some of the other ones out there. Uh, there's a lot of people around us doing really good ones. Um, this is this is our take on it. <laughs> it drinks a little bit drier than, than some of the other ones out there. But I think it kind of helps to kind of highlight some of the... Uh, the hopper room has ever trying to push in this. It also doesn't stick with you with the application yeah. because, because of how dry it is. And, and I think because of that, that, that creaminess kind of coats your taste buds too mm-hmm. and going down so you're not left with yeah, the that. brightness that you would find in most IPAs that you kind of just sit there and go, yep. you know, I, I, and, and some people For appreciate that bitterness. I didn't bitterness. like IPAs because of that and I, this one, you know, I, I really like and can drink and so, you know, but yeah, that sort of aftertaste that it would leave was, you know, was to me why I didn't like a lot of IPAs. And this one is very, you know, I don't get that. And you know, the oats and that creaminess, uh, you said, I think really makes, a, you know, that mouthfeel a lot better and you don't get that aftertaste. Once you get past the initial acceptance and excitement of the history here, what do you think, or for you, what is your mission statement? What is your core commitment so that, Mike, when you're making beer, is there a thread that runs through there? I know you have a personality that, as a brewer that you like to exemplify. But is there, is there a code or a core where this is our lean and this is where we're going to stay here at Von C? I think, like we've already said, we wanted to make a better beer every day. I mean, that was our, gay, our major goal and core, like, yeah, you know, stay stay true to tradition. Stay true to yeah. tradition. Obviously, we're lager. We love lagers. Uh, you know, people come in here and are very refreshed to see four or five lagers. And you know, that's, yeah, there's four or five IPAs that go with them, but they're very refreshed to see that there's four or five lagers usually on at all time. But our core was basically we like beer that tastes like beer, and do it the best we can. And Mike's done a heck of a job at it. What's number three? Number three. Number three is our Vienna lager. We um. We just won breweries and PA, breweries and PA, breweries and PA, best lager and best lager and PA for our Vienna lager. So that's this one. It's um. This has been my favorite since yeah. day one. So it's one of my favorite styles. Rick, I think everyone is your favorite. <laughs> <laughs> I think if well, I, I think, roll back I and go it, back to the recording, I can't remember if it was this one or the Hell's that was actually. Re- I think you released it on. Like June 7th is my birthday, the first time we ever did it. I'm okay. Like, you must have did that for me. So. <laughs> Rick, uh, would really appreciate your cards and birthday well wishes on June 7th. Um, <laughs> June 7th is Rick Day here at the brewery. So uh, so talk about this, Mike. <laughs> yeah, so our Vienna, it's a little bit overbuilt. It's, 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 it's bordering on Marzen. Um, but, you know, deep, bready uh, flavors, uh, pretzel, bread crust, a little bit of caramel in there, and just nice, nice dose of uh, our top middle for a, kind of round it out. And then coming off the side pour faucet with that nice creamy head on there, it's just beautiful beer. What again for somebody that is not all right? This is a lager. This is a Vienna lager. What makes this a Vienna style? Uh, it's it's. Really about the base malt. It's it's really centered on Vienna malt, which is a it's killing a little bit darker than like a Pilsner malt. So again, like a lot of those bready notes, uh, like bread crust, pretzel. Um, it's more it's it's a little bit maltier than like a Pilsner. Um, it's not it's somewhere in between like a Pilsner and a, and a Marzen. Uh, it still has like that copper color, um, good maltiness to it, and good drinkability. Um, 
most, most lagers are pretty drinkable, though. So. <laughs> they are, but you know, let's let's face it. There's character here, mm-hmm. and of everything that we've had, you know, thus far, and even the things that I've had when I've come to your tap room, you do not fall short on flavor. Mm-hmm. You do not fall short on personality. Yeah, there, and, there's, there's really no corners cut to that. I mean, if it's a Vienna lager or a Zellis lager, it's 100% German ingredients all brought in from Germany. So it's. Uh, it's trying to be as true to that tradition as possible. And you mentioned pretzel, and I almost get this softy, this salty, soft aftertaste if I just ate a pretzel. And that's a wonderful lingering feeling, and I guess that goes back to the malt that you're talking about. But this is delicious, and I can certainly understand why this would win not just one award, but many awards. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of good Vienna lager brewers around us, and we're just trying to find our place there. And I think we're, we're doing an okay job so far. There's always always room for improvement in there. <laughs> what would you like to see improved? Because <laughs> this is delicious. More people drink it. That wouldn't be improved. More people to drink it. <laughs> well, you know, Jay, you bring up a great point because you're kind of in that place where in the beer world, you're still, even the craft beer scene, it's still about an education. Rick, you said, I didn't even know what a grisette was. And there are probably quite a few other beers that have not been brewed or have not been brought to the masses. We're always done, and I are, we're always finding new beers that we can say we've never had, or a style we haven't had before, or a personality take on a beer that we've never tried. Where do you feel that that as a brewery is, you know, interjecting that with the the customer, an education or? Just, just finding a new. I think this right, might I be think, your new favorite beer. I think it's one of the beautiful thing about the craft brewery revolution. I mean, you couldn't go into a bar ten years ago and find the kind of styles you see on tap at all these beautiful little breweries. And some of them are doing yes, their own take on that, and some are doing more like us, the, the traditional take on it. But to be able to come in there and get a flight of four beers and be that vast and styles, and hopefully someone like we take pride in our people behind the bar can actually tell you a little bit something about that style or what a side pour faucet actually does or why it's important. Those are the things I think that really kind of take it from being a you know going to a bar and order a beer experience to come into a brewery and get a okay here's a style and why it's important experience. You talked about Dad setting up the chair, watching the brewery being built. <laughs> What's his follow-up take on now beer being poured and, you know, some of these styles that maybe, hey, we never had this or... He wants more hazies. He wants more hazies. <laughs> <laughs> Don't think so. Well, it's ironic. Our, our, our dad does not drink anymore, so... Uh, yeah. That's very interesting. So, That's fascinating. But, uh, you know, he, he, he likes to come for, uh, you know, Cousins Main Lobster Day and then he makes Eric buy his lobster for him. He actually, <laughs> he actually did try your the Little St. Rick. Yeah, which I was surprised because I was shy. He said, "Can you pour me?" I liked it many years. Try it. You're the man of few words, so to see him at the corner of the bar, just sitting there with a smile, you know, you've done what you're supposed to do. Yeah, and that's what it is. I mean, he usually takes. They usually take these last two chairs, you know, which during the day is Mike's spot, but uh, (laughs) (laughs) that's his office. But uh, yeah, you can just tell by the smile on his face that uh, I, I, I don't think he. Tells us, oh, I'm very proud of you guys for doing that. But I think that smile tells us that he's very proud that we pulled this off. And we've had cousins here that, uh, you know, uh, with their fathers working at Schmitz. And, uh, you know, they, they wanted, he wanted to do a craft brewery himself when uh, when he left Schmitz and never was able to do it. And uh, they're, you know, I know they come in here and they're they're very proud that we were able to pull this off and do it and, you know, keep the, you know, that family legacy going. Same with uh, Adam Rossetti, the last brewmaster of Schmitz has been an incredible resource for myself and the, the guys here. Um, just getting the recipes together and making sure I'm doing it right. <laughs> yeah, he, he, he's real good at it. Like, so when we went through the interview process, uh, Adam was with us too, and I had to, yeah, I had to sit down with and, him. And, uh, yeah, and, and Adam, so was Adam, that intimidating Adam, for you? Adam, asked, Adam asked those those uh, you know technical brewing questions, and you know when when we all sat down after we finished that interview process, I think we had five or six that we were interviewing, and uh, you know we we all liked Mike, and he's like. You know, Mike was at the top of his list as far as you know, under you know, answering those brewing questions that maybe the three of us 
we've all sort of brewed a little bit, but we don't know. We, we couldn't do what we're doing today, you know, and uh, and especially today, you, you know, everyone said you better hire someone that knows what they're doing on the brewing side. That You can't just be a home brewer and open a brewery like this with as many craft breweries that are out there. So it was very important to us to, to find a, a brewer, you know, a head brewer that, uh, you know, knows what he's doing, making great beer, and, you know, so far... It's been great. So, you know, Rick, you said something really interesting in my mind that I really wouldn't have thought about where the craft brewing scene is today. But this is not where you just make some beer in your garage or basement and you decide to open up a little corner, what have you. You better know what you're doing, and you better know it's not because we meet a lot of craft breweries uh, or craft brewers and. Some of them may know brewing, but they don't have that business sense about them. And I think that's where either they succeed or fail, or it's like trial by fire. But the thought that you have that you said, you better know what you're doing. Because you only, you only, did you really feel like you had one shot at this? Without a doubt. I mean, you know, back in the early 90s, you could come out with a a brewery and, you know, it it was craft beer. People loved it. Now that, same drinker is so in tune to what's right, what's wrong. Back then, it was just craft. It was cool. Uh, even if it was not the best beer, you were loving it, right? Now, with how many are in the U.S., and uh, it, every year, the quality just continues to get pushed up, and those are the ones that, that survive. It's the, the quality that's not there is kind of getting picked out very early. So well, we knew it. early on that you know the quality was, was number one. We had to make sure it was a good quality beer. And that's how bringing on a good commercial brewer like Mike just really made that smooth sailing for us. Well, it's an interesting story. I mean, everybody knows Dogfish Head. When he started back in the 90s, he'll tell you, he put out some pretty crappy beer in the beginning. And a lot of people say if, if Sam, I don't know how to say his last name, but if he was able to start... He doesn't know how to say your last name either. So it's okay. <laughs> if he, if he, yeah, he's got a tough last name as well. But if, but if he was to probably start a brewery today with as many breweries are, and do it the way he did it back then, he probably wouldn't survive. Uh, I think you know, there was a mystique around just crying, oh, wow, you guys are making this. I don't think people maybe cared about the quality at that point. They just thought it was cool because there were so few of them, and now oh, I'm going to go to that brewery. Uh, you know, so nowadays, I don't think a guy like that would survive, and obviously, he survived. And you know, you, know, <laughs> you, you said something really interesting because it's timing. It took 2020 for Von C., to be that right time. It's like, you know, could George Perrier own an open Lebec fin today in the same style that he did it back then? I don't think so. You know, could Dogfish Head start the same way today in that same, hey, we'll just, we'll brew some stuff, you know, see where it goes. Even more recently, like Treehouse, I don't, I don't think that, I don't think what they're doing is going to be repeated. Um, being able to sell that much barrelage out your back door I, I think that everything that, he sells out their back door right pretty much well not not the scale they're doing everything they sell yeah is going out their back yeah, door but I, I don't think even that model is repeatable repeatable because they've gotten so big now and they have such a big hops. following right yeah they're right? growing their own hops now too aren't they yeah I mean but but you talk about where your place is when you start <laughs> and the impact you make you can still do this or you can't do that but you just find your place and you do what you do and that's what you're doing, I think, right? Yeah, that's that's part of the plan for sure. Let's you know do the beers we like and do them well. There was four, and Four's Jay, a, Jay, you were like, wait till you try this, right? Yeah. <laughs> so you're this, being the first to try it. We haven't even released it yet. Oh, really? Okay, it's being released Friday. We have a spoof. All right, so when we go and we release this podcast, this will already have been released. This but we got to try it first. Yeah, but you get to try it first. <laughs> okay. You, you can hop on there and rate it first. So this is, a, this is another beer that uh, we feel uh, very strongly and proudly about. This is uh, Prior Preferred. Um, Prior Preferred has a long history. Uh, so it was first brewed by Adam Scheidt uh, back in the 40s. That's a, so, brewery, that's a local brewery right down the street from, yep, uh, from us in Norristown here that was eventually owned by Schmitz. Yep, yep. So... Uh, the main importer for Pilsner Urkel, uh, obviously when the war broke out, lost basically his entire business because he couldn't import it. Uh, the story goes that he went up and down and visited 200-some breweries to try and find someone who could make him a Pilsner Urkel clone. And what he came up with was prior. 
and Pryor was brewed at Adam Scheidt for many years. Um, the uh, executive who kind of brought it out kind of had to put his neck on the line because at that point in time, no one thought Adam Scheidt would be able to put out and sell a premium beer. No one's going to buy it. Uh, it ended up being the largest profitable beer that they ever made. It was not the biggest selling, but it made the largest profit margin for him because it was a higher-end beer. Um, and it came on and uh, unfortunately disappeared with the closing of Schmitz, but we did a lot of research, and this is Mike's take to uh, getting as close as he can to the original prior that was brewed at Adam Scheidt Brewery. I'm curious. Uh, by the way, I love this. I love the unique aftertaste to this. And, Mike, when you talk about trying to recreate this, what process have you gone through? You said you've done research. Are there old logs that you're finding that yeah. you go through and, and um, you know, purchase orders of, of ingredients? How do you formulate and come together to create this? Well, again, our first order of business was to try and get uh, Rich Wagner to do as much uh, historical digging as he could to come up with it. Uh, Obviously, having the last master brewer, Schmitz, Adam Brosetti on the team, he can go back and learn what he brought, what was brought to him when he was the master brewer. Uh, and him and Mike and uh, did a lot of research, and this is what they came out with. <laughs> we did, we did um, <laughs> the last tech pills I did was kind of a, a first attempt at it, and we kind of took what we learned from that one and kind of did a little tweaking to get it more in line with what we thought was a, a more appropriate representation of the style. It would be really interesting to bring this, you know, to bring, have, have, have all those people still around the table, right? Um, and, but I think that's what you're doing with this. You're bringing, you're bringing those people back to allow that same experience to come through and paying homage to the lineage and, and the experiences that Schmitz and now Von C bring to the world. Well said. This is delicious. I mean, <laughs> you know. Well, I told you how, how proud our, our dad is just with the way he smiles at us. But I, I, I really wish that my granddad would, you know, he passed away pretty young. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think we all remember him that much. But, uh, you know, I think he would be, uh, you know, be ecstatic over yeah. what, what we were doing. One of the beautiful things that, you know, at least for our experience right now is that we're getting to drink history past and future and that just it lifts up the experience it really does it's good when you can tie it to a story and that story is not just a marketing thing that's thrown out there it's actually documented history and as you said we can go back into old brewing journals and try and find some things here and there Uh, it's pretty cool there must be some other ones that are still uh, on the list that you want to put together, right? There are a lot. There are, definitely. <laughs> you know, so the one, the one thing, now. too, so, <laughs> yeah. we, so we, we're doing all of our own, right now, all of our, our own sales, our own, um, uh, you know, um, distro. And Jay, you know, we all make deliveries, but Jay, Jay pretty much does all the deliveries in our van uh, uh, every week. And, uh, yeah, we, we always say, you know, we have a story to tell. We're building our, our brand one at a, you know one case at a time. Well, interesting. We just recently read a story about our granddad, and uh, during the you know the fifties through the seventies when he was the president, the the growth of Schmitz was tremendous at that point. And I, we read the story, and the last line of the story when they asked how things were going, he goes, "Well, we're barreling along." So, <laughs> so someone said we need to put that on the wall, like these uh, you know, yeah, the we're mirror. barreling along, or yeah. So so that sort of fits in perfectly with we're building our uh, you know our uh, you know our brand one one case at a time so you know you mentioned barrels and you look at I mean 1860s 1800s there were barrel houses there were you know there were barrel caves in in some cities that they had before the opportunity to put that lager into refrigeration and that was that was more of the older method right yeah, I think they call it ice houses. Yeah, mistaken, I mean, right? but is that something? I mean, today we have all these new methods, but if you make something in more of that traditional style, is is maybe that on the radar in the future, or just something that is is maybe too far back to even deal with? When these guys buy me a new brew house. <laughs> <laughs> we have a we have a very old, very well used brew house here that was uh, started life up in uh, Thomas Hooker. Thomas, Thomas Hooker, Hooker Brewery. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
but that, that's one of the challenges for us too is trying to recreate these styles with with modern equipment and trying to hit that flavor profile without some of the more traditional methods um, so, so the, the business so that, that's curious for me because the business plan is you know 1993 there were a lot of things that weren't in place in 1993 but 2023 there's some old methods of things that to recreate a flavor profile or personality of a beer is that something on the idea plan that yeah, definitely I mean I, yeah, all it's uh, anything we can do to kind of bring that history out and about um, those brewers back then I mean it was more art form compared to the brewers of today it's it's uh, now it's a balance of art form and and science and everything else so yeah I mean having the ability to do those things is, is great you know we can adjust water profile for what we're trying to brew where you know way back then they didn't know that they didn't you know why can't I brew that great of a lager here in, in England water profile is probably not the best for it so uh, having Mike with a mixture of all those things that it takes to be a brewer today is that that's that's key number five number five, five is uh, Midnight in the Priory that's our Schwarz beer this one we're super proud of. Yeah, this, this this is my favorite beer. I love the smokiness right on the nose. I'm not going to say it's my favorite because I think you have <laughs> This is number five favorite. I'll say my, this is my wife's favorite, though. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Schwarz beer. I do like it. It's a black lager. Um, it's, it's a really wonderful style. It's It tends to be a harder style to sell, but if you can just get somebody to try it, um, if you can explain that it's not a stout, it's, it's more... It's more of a black, black pilsner in a way. Um, then, then they're a little more open to trying. And once, once people try it, they're like, "Oh, this is a very drinkable, drinkable beer." Yeah, we, we had they it. See at the, the dark color, and they, they're expecting something more along, along the lines of, you know, a stout or a porter or something. Yeah, we we uh, just did a, a beer fest at Ardmore Music Hall, and we had uh, we brought a keg of this as well, and. Yeah, there's some. Oh, all you have is a dark left, you know. But we're like, and Jay's like, just try it. It drinks a lot lighter than it, than uh, that dark look. It's not a you know a heavy stout or anything like that. And most people that when they try it, they kept coming back for it. So you know, I, yeah, think, we, I think I think people are afraid of it at first if they're not into those dark beers. We wanted to call it "Don't Be Afraid of the Dark," but unfortunately, that name was already taken. But again, it it, it finishes. Did so. you spell it D A R K E? Because maybe that would have <laughs> <That> worked. <laughs> worked. <laughs> Yep. Well, so. Schmitz, it's another take on the prior. Schmitz, Schmitz did a prior double dark. It was actually an Adam Schweit beer that, uh, you know, when Schmitz took over. And and uh, that became very big for Schmitz uh, at the time. So that's why we sort of used the priory. That, 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 and Mike came up with that name. We thank Mike for that one. <laughs> Midnight in the priory. So, uh, yeah, we, why do you think it is? I mean, again, it's, it's lagers, it's pilsers. You, you know, you talk about... <laughs> Loggers, pilsers, and you talk about you know, oh, hey, I don't. Want... <laughs> now I know why, Eric. Now I know why you didn't want to have a, a flight. <laughs> it's a fun Tuesday, right? What do you think it is about that 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 consumer that just comes in? Oh, I only like pilsers. I only like oh, you know stouts or where it's at, and then try something else. That's, that's, I mean, all of us take turns behind the bar, and uh, it is pretty neat every time. Uh, what, so what's your, what do you like? And they'll say something, and we'll try this. Well, they'll try it and ask what it is. And it wasn't something that they said they liked originally. They're like, oh, that's pretty good. I'm like, well, open your mind, open your taste buds. Don't be so I'm pigeonholed into I can only have this kind of beer. You know, Mike's opened my eyes to a few styles that weren't my favorite styles, but he'll bring out a beer that we'll have us on sampling day and try it, and I'm like, well, all right, that, that's pretty good. When's, never, when's sampling never, day? <laughs> every day. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> he knows whenever I'm working out that afternoon. Well, Jay, Jay would sample, say but, when we would do the, the uh, you know, our tours and everything, he goes, well, you know, we try the beer all along the way. It's a tough job, but we do it for you <laughs> to make sure really that, that final product is, uh, is perfect. That's very appreciated, by the way. <laughs> but I, I am not a huge sour fan. But uh, you know the the sour that we uh, currently have, our plum sour. I actually that's one of your favorite likings. I will not say it's one of my favorites, but you got it. Uh, I do, and, I, and I think he did you know a pineapple passion pineapple fruit. What I think you did that I really liked as well. So I've never liked sours before. I got into this. I would never order a sour, and now that you know we we brew them here, and I uh, get to you know try everything that we brew. So it's. Uh, 
you know, it's opened up my, uh, you know, taste buds a little bit to some of the beers that I probably would never have tried, uh, you know, if I didn't know my own brewery. Yeah, so, you, so you got to try all Rick's five favorites. <laughs> so is there anything on that list that you didn't try that you guys would like I to mean, try? I mean, look, I mean, this is the beauty of it. We get to come back. And <laughs> we get, we get to, to try other things. And look, you're on the socials, at, at, on Instagram and Facebook. How do people find you? Uh, Eric, you're our IT guy. Come on, here's your chance. Here's your shot. On the website, on the Facebook, so go to voncbrewing.com. V-O-N-C, brewing.com. V-O-N-C, yep. Yeah, I mean, there are new releases. There are old favorites. There are food trucks. You have food trucks here. Yeah, so our uh, our tap room is open Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Food trucks are usually here Thursday through Sunday. Uh, It's all on the website, and if you are an Instagram-type person, it's posted out there on a weekly basis what we have going on. Uh, we have cornholes on Wednesday nights, quizzes on Thursdays. Um, come out and check it out. We have a 2,500 square foot tasting room inside, about another 3,000 square foot tasting room outside when the weather's nice. Um, we do it. We do events. Yeah, come try some good beer. We have a big enough space that we're able to cordon off some sections uh, and do events for uh, people. We, you know, we we did just do a big event for the Darren Dalton Foundation last Friday. We had. That was a private event that we actually closed. We don't do that very often here where we close on a Friday or Saturday, but we did it for the Darren Dalton Foundation because we had done a, we basically our Vienna, we white labeled and called it the 700 level lager. We put that out right as the Phillies, well, we, the label, the label came out. We thought, uh, you know, the, the Phillies were doing real well when we decided to do this with the a group called the Drunk Phils fans. And then the, the label came out and they were almost uh, choking. <laughs> but took it down to the last, and they got in, and then we, you know, obviously we had that run. So uh, we were hoping we didn't jinx them back. Yeah, we were afraid that we jinxed them. But uh, did you put out an Eagles, you know, line today? Here anytime? No, we did not. We were a little scarred from the 700 level lager. <laughs> but, but it was a great event. In the we, we in the in the sales of the 700 level lager, and and uh, you know, having our POS system be, uh, you know. Being able for people to add uh, to that donation, we we donated a thousand dollars ourselves, and we raised the, the Darren Dalton Darren Dalton Foundation raised twelve thousand dollars last Friday or two Fridays ago when they were in here. So it was a ticketed event. What I really love is Schmidt's Brewery was a mainstay in Philadelphia. Von C Brewery has become already in a short time a mainstay in the Delaware Valley area. And that's something that you and your family should be very proud of. Thank that, you very much. That, well, thank you. That you took I, that I first swing. I think we have swing. a long way to go, uh, but, uh, you know, it's... <laughs> well, you, you, you Jay do. Some, Jay does sometimes say we're the best-kept secret in Norristown. But when people come in, I've never... I live down the street. I've never heard of you. <laughs> it's a curiosity of mine to say, how has the Norristown community received this brewery? It's been overwhelming. It has been. We have we have uh, you know a lot of just locals that live right up the street that are that are here regularly, and um, you know we have the the Norristown police come in on their you know their off times and and they they are behind us 100. percent They want us. They're they're backing us. They yeah, if you have any problems, give them a call. But they want us to to uh, survive here. They want you know they want that stigmatism of Norristown to disappear and, and be a destination point that it once was, and uh, you know. They're hoping that a brewery and, you know, breweries have done well, you know, wherever they seem to go. They seem to gentrify that area, and they're hoping that we can do the same and start building the, you know, Norristown back up. And it's, it's been good. We had our grand opening on June 5th, so we had a couple soft openings before that. Had one for all the contractors who worked on the project. I was well received and well attended. We had ones for friends and family and thought we had enough brewer in the uh, tanks for two and a half weeks. Uh, ended up we ran out of beer in two and a half days. So we had a grand opening. Uh, actually ran out one day. Yeah. You're in Friday. good company because so many breweries have said, we ran out and we thought we had enough. We had to close our doors for two and a half weeks and brew and get ahead of it. There were some people like, what, you ran out of beer? I'm like, we took it as a good thing because we only were able to do four ales at that point because ales are a couple of weeks in the tanks, whereas lagers are you know, upwards of four to six eight weeks at you know depending on what, what lager or pilsner we're doing but you know it was a fun funny story so we decided that friday night okay well we can't be open the rest of the weekend we don't have any beer left <laughs> and i came down that saturday morning to put a sign on the door and there were two people there that did not 
see it on our on our uh, social media and stuff that we were not going to be able to open. But one guy, we had an ESP uh, uh, on for that for that uh, you know, soft opening, and he goes, "I drove forty five minutes." He goes, "I get out of the car. He didn't know I was the owner, and he's like, uh, you know, oh, they." I didn't check the website before I came, but they're not open. They ran out of beer last night. And I said, well, I'm the owner. I said, uh, he goes, I drove 45 minutes to because you guys had ESB. I said, well, I happen to have about maybe a quarter of a sixel left of the ESB. So I brought him in. And I think I, I won a lot of goodwill with that particular <laughs> customer because <laughs> I, we had, we had a, you know, I gave him a few beers and I, you know, gave him a couple, uh, you know, crawlers to go home with. And, you know, so even though we didn't, we weren't open and didn't have anything else for him, I think that uh, helped, uh, you know, early on with the. Uh, and then we had a grand open on June 5th and more than 1,200 people came through this front door. So the, again, the, the response from Norristown has been huge. Um, the amount of people that can walk through the farm park, to walk their dogs here, it's uh, it's great. We're, we're so thankful to have our loyal those our regulars that are here all the time. It's, it's, it's neat to see. Well, for Dawn and I, we're thankful for this time. And when we saw you open, Dawn, this was our first time here. I've been here before. Um, we actually showed up, I think, New Year's Eve, and you were closed or something. We, we showed up on a holiday. You were closed. So we weren't able to see at the door to make up on the goodwill. But this is, this, is, this is really made up for that. This experience, I was so looking forward to this. And this has exceeded you know, what I had hoped for. And thank you for being a friend of Fermented Adventure. And we can't wait to see you know, the continued growth and success of Von C. If you're anywhere in the Philadelphia area, this is a place, this is a brewery that you need to visit. You can't leave. And if you're local and you haven't been here, get here. The beers are delicious. The history is amazing. You'll see all the the Schmitz memorabilia here. Come by here. Gentlemen, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for your time. And uh, I have, oh, I have still, there you go. Cheers, Cheers. pros, bottoms up, all that stuff. (laughs) 